and we'll begin reading at verse 9. Is this blessing then upon the circumcised or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it reckoned, while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be reckoned to them, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, that is, physical Jews, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. Amen. Let's pray once again. Father, we pray for your help now as we look into your word. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the things that we've heard already and this fellowship, the sweet fellowship that we have together. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We began last week to consider this section from verses 9 to 12 where Paul specifically takes up the subject of circumcision. Uh, In the preceding section, verses 1 to 8, he talks uh, about a little bit broader issue and that's the issue of justification by works as opposed to justification by faith. And uh, in that section, verses 1 to 8, he shows that both Abraham and David uh, were not in any way justified by works, but they were both justified solely by grace through faith. People who talk like David does in verses 6 through 8 or verses 7 and 8 about how blessed it is to have your sins forgiven and covered and not imputed to you, people who talk like that are not people who are boasting in the merit that they have about salvation, just the opposite. They're, they can't get over the fact of the great blessing that's been bestowed upon them, that God has received them and loves them and has actually accepted them as, as sons in spite of the fact that they're not worthy of salvation. And so the, he brings these quotes out to show that uh, the, the, uh, the salvation in the Bible is never in any of these men was it ever the idea of some kind of merit? Nobody, you see Abraham believing God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Never the idea that he did some good things. Multitudes of people, maybe some of you here today, you think that if you could just be good or just a little bit better or somehow merit the merits of Christ or something or maybe just going to church, somehow those things, and a lot of, and we see this at a lot of funerals. Uh, they'll stand up and say, he was a good man. He was a good man. Well, the Lord Jesus said uh, you don't, to the rich young ruler, he said, what, why are you talking about what's good? You don't even know what good is. There's none good but God. And if anybody's going to be saved by being good, there's no hope for any of us. And so verses like these uh, that that Paul quotes in verses 7 and 8 represent salvation by grace and justification by faith not justification by works but then in verses 9 through 12 Paul focuses in on a more specific issue and that is circumcision this was a very big thing to the Jews we looked at this a little bit last week 
<clears throat> in fact, it was so big that in Paul's day there were professing Christians, people of Jewish background, going around telling other professing Christians, people of Gentile background, that unless they were circumcised, they couldn't be saved. Now that's a big thing. And uh, it was uh, a big enough thing that Paul says uh, that it's a matter of life and death. If you believe that somehow something that you do uh, is necessary for justification, then it's a matter of life and death. It's a difference between uh, the true gospel and something that's not even a gospel at all. It won't save. You just add a little bit of works and get in. You, as soon as you do that, you get into a different realm, not the realm of grace, not the realm of faith, but the realm of doing things and looking at things that you've done in order to be right with God. And you can actually do that uh, in our day. It's done uh, multitudes of times because people look at some little thing they've done. Maybe it's just going forward in a meeting or maybe it was being baptized or something. But you say, uh, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? And their answer is along this line. Well, I went forward in a meeting. 15 years ago. Well, what's that have to do with the question? It doesn't have anything to do with the question. Or I was baptized as a baby, or I was baptized on profession of faith. doesn't mean anything. The question is, is are you trusting Christ for your justification, your righteousness? So, um, Paul brings up this issue of circumcision. It was a big thing. And he asked the question, basically, what part does circumcision play in justification? And the answer is it doesn't play any part whatsoever in justification. How do we know that? Well, we know it because Abraham was circumcised a long time before he was ever, or I'm sorry, Abraham was justified a long time before he was ever circumcised. So we know that circumcision can't have anything to do with justification. Uh, how do we know that? Well, Paul proves it um, by going back to the Old Testament. And we have here in verse uh, 10, How then was it reckoned? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. If you go back to the Old Testament and just read the history of how things happened in Genesis 15 through 17, you find out that God pronounced him righteous at least 14 years before he was ever circumcised. Now that makes it so crystal clear that circumcision couldn't have anything to do with his justification. Uh, 14 years. He, uh, he was in a justified state, actually probably longer than that, and yet at least we know that long, and uh, he had not yet been circumcised. Now, uh, if you want to say this a little bit clearer, you say it like this. Not only do works in general play no part in justification, but religious works in particular pay no part in, in play, play no part in justification. Not just works in general, but religious works in particular. Or if you want to make it even more specific, you could say it like this. Religious rites and ceremonies play no part in justification. They play no part in you being made right with God. Going through religious rites and ceremonies, they play no part in being made right with God. What is the purpose then of religious rites and ceremonies? Well, 
and what and particularly what he's talking about here what's the purpose of circumcision and paul says well circumcision since it didn't have anything to do with him being made right with god what was the purpose of it well it must have been a sign of something and that's what he says in verse 11 he received the sign of circumcision a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised uh, circumcision was a sign and we're specifically told in fact god himself says that it was a sign in genesis 17:11 uh, it was a sign of the abrahamic covenant and this is what the verse is i read it last time and i'll read it again God says, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. So Paul wasn't just pulling this out of the air. God had said, this is the sign of the covenant between me and you, the Abrahamic covenant. Now, in the same way, God appointed a sign for the covenant with Noah. What was that? The rainbow. The rainbow was the sign, and let me give you that. This is God speaking again. He says, this is the sign of the covenant which I'm making between me and you and every living creature that's with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. So we're part of that, and uh, every time... uh, you see a rainbow, it's a reminder of the fact that God has promised he will never again destroy the earth through the flood. He will destroy the earth next time through fire, but he will never do it through flood. Uh, there may be some big floods and big big uh, hurricanes and big tsunamis, but they're never going to be like the, the, the flood. And that's a promise of God to us. Um, also, so there's a... There's the rainbow, the sign of the Noahic covenant, but also the Sabbath is a sign of the Mosaic covenant. Let me read, well, I don't have the quote here, but it's Exodus 31, 13. God says, uh, I've given my Sabbath as a sign of this covenant between me and you. So the, the Sabbath is a sign of that covenant. Now, this is what I want us to get. Signs are meant to point to or signify, or if you want to just say it the way it is signify to signify or point to or be a reminder of some separate reality over here the sign is a reminder of that reality they are not themselves the reality nor do they produce the reality but they point to and signify that which is already a reality now isn't that clear it's so clear Uh, abraham's circumcision did not itself justify him nor did it play any part in his justification. But it was a sign, it pointed to, the fact that he was already justified. Now, we saw last week how this works out in the matter of baptism. Baptism itself does not justify or regenerate anybody. Nor does it play a part in justifying or regenerating anybody. But it signifies the fact that we have already been justified and regenerated. That's what a sign does, you see. It's by the fact that it symbolizes something and points to it. Same way with the Lord's Supper. Now, uh, I was just thinking yesterday how amazing this is, and I'm still amazed in light of how clear this is, how much false teaching there has been down through the centuries about baptism and the Lord's Supper. 
Uh, in Roman Catholicism, many of you know it, it's taught for centuries that when a baby is baptized, it's regenerated. So you see the sign is performed, and that baby is regenerated through the sign. Also, that when Jesus said, this is my body and this is my blood, he's sitting right there with him, and his body and blood is right there. And he says, he picks up this piece of bread, he says, this is my body. Obviously, that's a symbol. You see, it's a sign. Can't be talking about his body because his body was right there. All right, this is, this is a sign or a symbol of my body broken for you. But uh, that's been taught that that's literally, that the, that the bread and the wine are literally uh, the body and blood of Christ and that he is sacrificed again in the so-called sacrifice of the Mass. Now that's, that's a big, big thing. But it, amazingly, many of the groups that came out of, from Catholicism are not that much different. Let me just give you some examples. In the Anglican Church, and in America, uh, the Episcopal Church is the American branch of the Anglican Church. Every time a baby is baptized, this is what the minister is supposed to say. Now, this is taken from the Book of Common Prayer. He says, Seeing now, dearly beloved... Now, they, make, they, sprinkle, they sprinkle the baby and make the sign of the cross, and then this is what they're supposed to say. Seeing now, dearly beloved, that this child is regenerate and grafted into the body of Christ's church. That's the thing that's said. And then uh, he thanks God, quote, that it hath pleased thee to regenerate this infant with thy Holy Spirit, to receive him for thine own child by adoption, and to incorporate him into the Holy Church. Now you can see why men like Martin Lloyd-Jones called these professing evangelicals like J.I. Packer and John Stott and others to come out of Anglicanism because you can't say those kinds. I mean, you can, you know, give all kinds of fancy explanations why it doesn't mean that, but there it is. And the common man is going to take it that way. I mean, you know, this guy that doesn't know all these fancy theological sleight of hand tricks is going to take it that that means what it is and so that's that now in the lutheran church this is from the shorter catechism and this is what the children are taught to memorize and so on question what gifts or benefits does baptism bestow answer it effects forgiveness of sins delivers from death and the devil, and grants eternal salvation to all who believe as the word and promise of God declare. Now, it does put in there to all who believe, but and it, and it goes on, some of the questions have to do with faith and so on, but even then, can you see how why it is that so many people, and a lot of friends of mine, people that I've known in the past from Lutheran background, many of them put their trust in their baptism. Why wouldn't you? What You know, you memorize this as a child. What gifts and benefits does it bestow? It effects forgiveness of sins, delivers from death and the devil, and grants eternal salvation. I mean, that's pretty incredible. In the Reformed churches, uh, Dutch Reformed, Netherlands Reformed, Presbyterian, so on, again, you have infant baptism, but with a wide range of teaching as to what it means. Um... Some think that covenant children are sort of 
growing up little Christians, what they call covenant children. And uh, we've had some books that are excellent children's books from Christian Reformed, different backgrounds. But in those children's books, I've noticed when I'm reading to my kids, when they, were, when they were little, I used to read some of those books, and all the time it's we little Christians, you know. I mean, it's like this child is growing up a little Christian. We love God, we're, we, you know, we, we belong to Him and things like that. You can't say that to a child because, unless they have been born again. You remember even in the Old Testament, it says Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Neither had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. And children don't start out as babies knowing the Lord. That's a miracle when a person comes to know the Lord. Uh, most in the reform camp do not believe that baptism saves, but they think it does something. They think something. And you get down, well, what really does it do? Then you get all kinds of answers and difficult you know, things that are impossible to understand. But let me give a quote from Charles Hodge, who's a very good man, and uh, it's unbelievable that he said this, but this is what he said, those parents sin grievously against the souls of their children who neglect to consecrate them to God in the ordinance of baptism. So any of us here who haven't had our infants baptized have sinned grievously against the souls of our children. Well, this is what he says. Do let the little ones have their names written in the Lamb's book of life, even if they afterwards choose to erase them. Isn't that incredible? Wouldn't you get the impression from that, that sprinkling that water on them writes their names in the Lamb's book of life? That's the impression I would get from reading that, although he himself could not have believed that you know, for in light of other things that he says. But it, <clears throat> at any rate, uh, amazing. I mentioned last week the so-called Church of Christ, many uh, Christian churches that teach, that teach that baptism washes away our sins. I, uh, after the meeting on campus Monday night, I was surprised. Uh, the one person that came up to me afterwards was a lady who began talking about this subject of baptism. And uh, she quoted to me Acts 22:16, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Well, of course, uh, that was spoken to the Apostle Paul after he was already filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, he had, Ananias had put his hands on him, prayed for him that he might receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it cannot mean that his sins were going to be washed away in baptism. It means what this sign or symbol, what it points to, you see, what it means. Uh, the idea of... Uh, the reality of having our sins washed away. Uh, she said that I was not a Christian, um, even though I have been baptized as a believer. I was not a Christian because I was not baptized with the intention of having my sins removed in baptism. I was not baptized for the forgiveness of sins, that is, in order to get my sins forgiven. That's the standard Church of Christ teaching. That it's not just that you have to be baptized, but you have to be baptized in order to get your sins forgiven. Now see, I was baptized under the mistaken notion that I had become a Christian already. And so it didn't count. Now that's amazing. That's the very same thing. You see, what, what I'm saying here is, is that when Paul talks about 
circumcision being a sign, it's not a little thing. It's not some deal from 2,000 years ago. This is very real, very relevant. And the issue comes up, what place do religious rites and ceremonies play in me being made right in the sight of God? And the answer is, they don't play any part whatsoever. A person can be right in the sight of God and never have been dunked in water or whatever it is because he's made right in the sight of God through the blood of Christ and faith in the blood of Christ. Okay? Very relevant, very real to us today. Um, Circumcision was a sign. And we saw last week that Paul tells us what it was a sign of in Colossians 2. He says this, he says, In Christ, in Him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In other words, circumcision symbolized the cutting away, the excision of the old life in regeneration. Christians are no longer in the flesh, but in the spirit. Their life is in the spiritual realm. And so that thing was a symbol, a signification of the putting away of the old life, the the removal of the body of the flesh, Paul says, by the circumcision of Christ. We no longer live in the sphere of the flesh. We live in the realm of the spirit. So circumcision was a sign. But what else does Paul say that circumcision was? Well, verse 11, he says, He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised. Now that comes up with a question. What is this word seal? What's that mean? And, uh, you know, in English, we, we use the word seal like you seal an envelope. We think, well, it means you lick this thing and, you know, you seal it. But that's not what the word meant in the Bible, and that's not where the word came from. What, do, what, is, what is a seal? What was a common example of a seal? Okay, Suzanne says this. That, what does that mean? What's that? A notary, all right, a notary has a seal. In the Bible days, what was the seal, usually? A ring. A lot of times it was a ring. Sometimes there were seals that were roll cylinders that would roll out. But uh, you take the king's ring and you put it in this clay or you put it in hot wax or something, and he, his seal is upon it. Now, uh, let me ask you this. What did a seal do? What was the purpose of a seal? What did it signify? All right, authority. Now, there's four things I'm looking for here. One of those is authority. Uh, Whenever that uh, stamp is on there, um, you have, and really, say a little bit more about authority because it symbolized authority. But what does that mean? The, the author- What's that? All right, authenticity. So it, it puts the king's, let's say when a, when a letter went out that claimed to be from the king, when he put that seal on there, it authenticated that it really was from him, and therefore it carried his authority. So the first thing out of these four things that I want us to talk about, authenticity is one of them, an official letter or a notary, Suzanne said, or 
an official transcript. Now, I remember when I used to be getting my transcript from uh, the college where I went, uh, I could go in and get a transcript. Now, I don't know if it's still this way, how it is for you all, because that was a long time ago. They still dripped wax on there and put their ring on it. <laughs> no, they didn't do that. But I could get a transcript from college for a dime or whatever it was. But if you wanted to get one that was official, you had to pay, I've forgotten, $5, I think it was. And you know what the difference was between the one for a dime and the one for $5? They stuck it under that seal and went like that. I never could figure out why that cost. You know, $5 to do that. But that's, I guess, the way they got made money. But they had the college seal, and it was a metallic thing, all engraved and official. And when they hit down on that and mashed it into the paper, and it authenticated that this really was your transcript. So seals are used to authenticate. Now, every one of these is important and uh, full of meaning in terms of a seal. So authentication, what else do seals do? Okay, it was sealed, and um, you weren't supposed to mess with that. So, what would be another name for that? What could we What could we say that that seal did? Like a binding declaration that nobody could alter. Okay, it's secured. It's secured. A seal secures. Now, you remember when. Uh, it says there in the New Testament that Jesus was uh, uh, buried, and uh, they said, now that deceiver said he was going to rise from the dead. So Pilate said, well, go out and seal the tomb. He didn't mean go out and put mortar around the, the stone, you know, to make sure that you can't roll that stone back. He, went, he said, go out and put a seal on it so that nobody can tamper with that. Now, we have seals we have to deal with seals even from the city of Kirksville because on your water meter, they take a little wire and feed it through there and they put a little lead thing on there and mash it. And you're not supposed to cut that little wire and take that meter off of there because that's been sealed. So we have examples of seals in terms of security, uh, even in our everyday life. So what have we got here? Authenticity. And security. What else? Ownership. ownership. What's an example of a seal that shows ownership? Well, that might be more authenticity. I don't know. Okay. Ownership. Hmm? Brand is a classic one. You know, you take this cow and you burn into its skin a seal that's a mark of ownership. And you try to make that seal, you know, so that they can't just add a little thing and stick on it and make it a different seal. <laughs> so, ownership. Now, there are certain people in the Bible that were sealed with a mark in their forehead. 
And that, that has a lot of significance in a lot of different ways. All right, so we've got authenticity, we've got security, we've got ownership, need one more. What's that? Approval. Approval. Wonderful. Well, you guys are good. <laughs> this is amazing. Approval. The imprimatur. So you have the FDA even puts seals on hams and things like that. You know, there's a there's a stamp of approval. And um, back in the uh, earlier, well, you still have it, I suppose, nowadays. You have marks of approval, stamps of approval, you know, um, that give the imprimatur of approval to something. Um, you see that, I think, very clearly in the case of of the Lord himself. It says, On him hath God, even the Father, set his seal. He put a seal on him that he approved of him. And every time Christ did another miracle, God was setting another seal on him. A man who's a sinner can't do works like these. If God's not with him, how's he doing these things? Well, that was part of God's stamp of approval on him. Now, Paul says that circumcision was a seal, a stamp from God to Abraham of the righteousness that he had before he was circumcised. In other words, he carried around with him a mark, and to him it was a guarantee. It was a mark of a special relationship that he had with God. Now that's what this thing of circumcision was to Abraham. God put his stamp on Abraham, and the very fact that he had that stamp proved that he was justified. That's what it says in verse 11. He received this sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised. So to Abraham, that circumcision was a, was, was a seal that God gave him a stamp that God put on him that he had entered into covenant with Abraham and that Abraham was right in his sight. Now let me ask you a question. Was circumcision God's seal to every Jew? Suzanne says no. Anybody say yes? Not if you take it in a personal way as a seal to every Jew that he was justified because most Jews weren't justified. Okay? And Paul says here it was a seal to Abraham. It was a sign and a seal to Abraham of the righteousness that he had while uncircumcised. Um, you could say that circumcision was God's stamp on the fact that he will definitely save anyone who believes. Uh, in other words, every time a Jew was circumcised, it was a reminder from God that he will justify those who believe. So he put his seal on that. It, it was a seal of justification by faith as such. God says, this is my stamp of approval. Every time anybody circumcised, it's my stamp of approval on the way of justification by faith. Um, that idea has always seemed kind of weak to me. But that is one possible way that you could take it. You could say that it was a seal every time there was a reminder, God saying, you can be justified by faith the same way Abraham was. And his circumcision literally meant that God had received him, but it, 
It doesn't mean that for you unless you enter into faith just like he did. Now, that's possible. But, um, like I said, I think that that's kind of weak. Uh, But one thing we do know, it was a seal in this sense. Every time a Jew was circumcised, it was God's stamp of approval that he really was a Jew. And that he was part of the old covenant and an inheritor of all the blessings that God promised, the physical blessings of the old covenant. And so it was, to every Jew, a guarantee of that. All the blessings tied in with the Old Covenant because they were by birth Jews. They were by birth members of the Old Covenant. So it was right that they got that stamp. God said, here, you're a Jew. This is, you're different from those Philistines over there. I've got special promises for you. You see, they were not promises that related to salvation directly, but they were promises of special blessing. And, and, it, and rightly so. The Jew looked at that and he says, I'm a Jew. God's promised special blessing. That was true. So in that sense, they were a seal or a stamp of God upon every Jew. Uh, But as far as being a stamp or a seal that they were justified, you can only say that of Abraham. Now, what seal is mentioned in the New Covenant? The Holy Spirit. Now, this is important because a lot of people say that baptism is the seal in the New Covenant. Baptism doesn't seal anything in the New Covenant. It does not, unless you take it in an objective sense, it's God's stamp upon the fact that he'll save believers. But if you talk about an individual thing, the fact that I have been baptized does not guarantee to me that my sins have been removed. It doesn't guarantee the reality of it. It's not a seal, you see. Baptism is not a seal. But the Bible does talk about one seal in the New Testament, and that's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, and particularly the manifest presence and outpouring of the Holy Spirit, is spoken of as a seal. Now let me give you a couple verses. Ephesians 1.13 Having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Acts 15.8, God who knows the heart bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He also did to us. So those Believers, in this case Cornelius and his household, God bore witness to them. He put his seal on them. How did he do it? Giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. Now when you see that, when you see that outpouring of the Spirit upon somebody, you're seeing God impress his seal upon them of ownership, of authenticity, uh, of security. All of those things are tied up in the in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, Lord willing, we'll get to that in chapter 5 and chapter 8 where Paul talks about the love of God being poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given to us. And the Spirit Himself bearing witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. Now, when you see the Holy Spirit in the life of somebody, you've got guaranteed proof they're a Christian. When you see it in the sense of Him revealing Christ from within that person, Christ being formed in them. 
Well, uh, Lord willing, uh, we've, and we've looked into this matter of seal because this is the first time it comes up and we need to understand it, but Lord willing, we'll see a whole lot more about the seal, the real seal that we have in the New Testament. But back to chapter 4 here, Romans, uh, just to conclude here. What's the conclusion that we're to draw from all this? Well, verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, what? That he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be reckoned to them. In other words, Abraham is the father of Gentile believers. And then secondly, verse 12, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, that is, they're not only physical Jews, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. In other words, those physical Jews who are true believers, he's their father too. Um, he's the father of both. Now, the, the Jews thought of Abraham as the father of all who were circumcised. In other words, Jews. Paul says, no, that's not right. He, he, was, he believed, he was justified by faith a long time before he was circumcised. He is the father of all who believe, Jew or Gentile. That's who he really is the father of. Now, this came up in our Lord's ministry, you remember. Let me just uh, read it to you. This is in John chapter 8. We're almost finished. John chapter 8 and verse 37. He's speaking to the Jews. He says, I know that you're, you are Abraham's offspring or Abraham's seed. Yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. So he says, I know that you're physical Jews, but you're seeking to kill me. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, and therefore you also do the things which you've heard from your father. Now, who's their father? Well, he'll tell them in a minute. They answered and said to him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said to them, If you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. You see, it's not enough to claim that they were physical descendants of Abraham, they were not his real children because they did not have a spiritual affinity to him. Now, who was their father? Well, um, verse 41, you're, you're doing the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we're not born of fornication. Uh, we have one father, even God. In verse 44, he says, you are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the lusts of your father. <clears throat> he was a murderer from the beginning does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. So who did they have spiritual affinity with? Their father, their real father, the devil. Who does a true believer have spiritual affinity with? Their father, Abraham. Now, this is an amazing thing, isn't it? You don't have to keep the father you were born with. You can have a new father. And the issue is, do you have the same reality in your heart that Abraham had, and that is trusting in God and not in himself, trusting in the righteousness of Christ, believing on him? 
you can have the greatest privilege. I mean, when you think of the great blessedness of being one of Abraham's children. Why is that? Well, we're going to find out what, what was promised to Abraham's children. They got some incredible promises. For example, it's promised to every one of Abraham's children that they're going to inherit the whole world. Now, that's, that's something, isn't it? They're going to inherit the earth. After everything's done, I mean, you don't get riches like this. From I mean, I don't know any. There's some rich men in the world, but I don't know any of them that leave their kids the entire world. But Christ has left us, Abraham and his seed, the entire world. And that's just part of it. And so as we live in this world, we're doing what Abraham did. did. We're living as strangers in the land that belongs to us. And uh, right now, you know, people might spit on you and everything else, but the fact is you're walking on ground that's going to belong to the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And so it's a big thing to be one of Abraham's children. And you can be one of his children if you follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham. Now, Lord willing, as we go on, we're going to... Look at what it means to follow in the steps of the faith of Abraham. Every Christian does. You say, well, I could never be like Abraham. Yeah, you've got the very same kind of faith Abraham does, and it believes the very same kind of impossible things that Abraham's faith believed. And Lord willing, we'll look at that as we get further on in this chapter. Paul says this in Galatians 3.29, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to promise. You're the real heirs of those promises that God made to Abraham. Well, praise the Lord. Lord willing, we'll go on next time begin to look at um, this promise that God made to Abraham and how the promise comes to pass and what makes the promise certain of being fulfilled. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank You that Your Word is so clear that... No religious rite or ceremony can make us right with God. We can only be made right by the blood of Christ through faith, by grace through faith. And we thank you for this little section here that you inspired the Apostle Paul to put in this epistle to the Romans where he explained the meaning of circumcision. Lord, we want to have the reality in our lives. We don't want signs and symbols. We want the reality. And we know that if we have the reality, you said first make that which is inside clean. Give what's within to God, and then all things will be clean for you. And we pray that we'd have internal reality today. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's continue our fellowship.
in the mealtime, very important time. Ask the Lord to help us to 